Blog Talk Radio. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, July the 10th. And as we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Let me say hello to Bill. Bill, I hope you have an umbrella and lots of batteries, because I understand the weather up there has been nasty the last couple of days. Uh, I, I hear it's been nasty. Um, we We have a lot of flooding up here, more than rain. Uh, the rain is pretty much over, but uh, uh, parts of uh, our area do have some flooding. Uh, it, it's now up in New England. Yeah, we did we did have some rain. Actually, it was very unusual to have a forecast that was accurate. So uh, <laughs> I, you know, but I have my little pocket umbrella that I carry around with me. Uh, but that that's pretty much over now in in this area, except for local flooding. Yeah, and some of the airports I think were closed yesterday. Um, I know uh, LaGuardia was closed, I think, and Kennedy. Uh, I know people who were flying back to New York who couldn't uh, had their flights canceled because of bad weather. So hopefully, that's all uh, that's all behind us as well. But let me let me begin by asking you a question out of New York. As long as we're talking about the state of New York, I saw a story. Maybe you saw this too, that the the tax revenues for the state of New York, are dropping like 20%. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes, yes. Well, what, one of the reasons is New York has the largest out-migration of any state in the United States. Uh, more people are leaving New York. It, 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 the people are flooding out of New York as fast as they can go, and yet the prices of real estate keep going up. I don't get that. I, I, don't, I thought you had to have a market. But people, yeah, uh, people are leaving. Uh, many of the offices uh, in Manhattan, for example, office buildings are uh, emptying. Uh, some companies are going somewhere else because they found during the pandemic that they really didn't need these New York offices. And, and uh, people they are very, very expensive to run. And, tax, yes, tax revenues are a big problem. The, the state of New York is, I think, approaching a, a financial crisis and it is completely unprepared because the New York State Legislature is a hardline leftist legislature. Now, even the mayor of New York, who's a, a liberal, is, is complaining about that. The New York State Legislature and the New York City Council, which is somewhat to the left of, of Lenin, I mean, they regarded Lenin as a right winger. Uh, we have real, real, real lefties running the government in New York. These are not liberals. And they, you can't get anything done. You can't get any improvement done. That makes any sense at all. Uh, the state is really in a very, very depressed way. Uh, in fact, I ran on Urgent Agenda today that the police department is just losing people right and left. Nobody wants to – who wants to be a New York City policeman today? Unless you're already there and working for toward a pension, who would want to go into a department that is ridicules, 
where the state legislature is against you, where the city council is against you. Uh, the, the, the city council has just get, taking up legislation in New York that would make race a critical item on sentencing. In other words, the, the judge would have to take into account the race of the, of the defendant. This is what we were fighting against in the right. civil rights movement. Uh, it, it's as if we're going back to the pre-segregation era, except, except that maybe the colors of people are different. But it is yeah. that kind of thing. And as a result, you know, you, you, you see a city, if you were a business moving to a city today, would you move to New York? Certainly right. not. Well, a 20% drop. I mean, that's quite a drop. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, oh, yes. you know, coming home and, you know, coming home and telling your wife, we're going to have 20% uh, or we're just we're going to have a 20% drop in income the rest of yes. the year. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, that would have a tremendous impact on a family, on a business, I would assume uh, at the state level, too. But the, when I saw that story, Bill, the question I was asking myself is, how do they make that up? Because they're going to have to cut back. Um, they're going to have to cut back something. I don't think they can raise taxes any further. Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe some excise taxes they could increase. Maybe they can start taxing people who are, uh, you know, flying to visit New York or on business, whatever. But I thought they were doing that already through the hotel taxes. But how, how do you make up twenty percent? I mean, something big is going to have to give, uh, Bill. Well, that, we've been saying that for a long time in New York. Yes. And, I've been, I, and uh, I've been saying for a long time in New York that does not seem to be a route upward. And I, I was having um, a discussion recently with a, with a banker, a retired banker who specialized in real estate, and he said that they understand that New York City is on a regular, uh, on a steady decline. There may be exceptions. There may be periods of, of growth, but it's on a steady decline and, and that there's no route back. How do, you, how, do you, how do you have a route back when you cannot solve your crime problem, when Broadway theater tickets are going for $140 a piece? Uh, we're going to a ball game. I mean, uh, somebody calculated for me that a family of four going to a ball game in New York City could be four hundred dollars for the day. Uh, how, how do you, how do you get back from that? And and also the fact that many of the commercial buildings in New York are uh, are emptying because people want to work at home. Companies don't want them to work at home, and the companies find that they can get the same pleasures that they used to get in New York and other cities. It isn't only that New York is failing, is that we have growth in other cities like Nashville, places like that, which are developing wonderful populations and, 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 and uh, uh, wonderful facilities for people. New York just doesn't have what New York had. Right. No, it doesn't. And it's a shame. It's a shame because it is. New York oh, is yeah. such a, has such a history has such a history but you know it, it's interesting to me because one more point about this you mentioned the police uh that you know and i i saw your piece about the police and i think that is so tragic because if, if you're the the you know the the people who live in new york city and you don't have enough police officers well that means that you know the criminals have the upper hand and then on top of that, you got these judges who seem to think that criminals are always right. I mean, it's it's just a disaster. I I, I 
I, it doesn't give me any pleasure, Bill, mentioning any of this. I think it's really sad to see what they've done to the city of New York. It's so sad, Bill. It is. And what people don't realize is this originates with basically human nature. And that is that when we vote in elections, most people don't even know who they're voting for, for the city council or for the state legislature. They know who they're voting for for president. They may know somewhat about the governorship. But when it comes down to what might be called lesser offices, they don't know those names. So they often vote by party. Uh, they'll, well, you know, and, and in New York City, that means they'll, whatever, whatever has D next to his name gets elected. So we, as a result, we have members of the city council who are out-and-out out Marxists. And, in fact, one, fortunately, was defeated last week. The, the man who was considered the most left-wing man, uh, member of the city council was, in fact, voted out of office in a primary. I think people did find out in his area just how extreme he was. He was out, but that doesn't happen very often. The state legislature is now uh, in a locked-in situation where the, um, the, uh, the far left has a lock-on policy. The mayor of New York cannot even get things through that would help the city very much, especially involving sentencing and judicial procedures. They will not budge from their progressive position. And in the end, people have some interest in their lifestyle. Uh, and, and you have also, you know, have a situation in Manhattan where they want to impose special fines and, uh, uh, and uh, expenses. Uh, for uh, certain kinds of drivers, uh, which will make the city even more expensive to come to. They say it's important for traffic control and for eliminating congestion. Well, thank you, but we've had congestion for years. They make no attempt. They make no attempt to make the city more attractive. Uh, right. the, educational, the educational system is, is collapsing. Yeah. No, it, it, uh, it, it's a total mess. I, I don't know... Uh... I don't know how else to say it. It's just a total, absolute mess. Did I just lose you, Bill? Are you still there? No, I'm here. No, for a minute there, I, th I thought I, I had, uh, I had lost you. Well, anyway, I, I wanted to get that update on on New York uh, because um, I just saw the story about the twenty percent, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe it uh, uh, that, that that it would be a number. A number like that. Well, let, let's get to some of the serious stuff. Uh, no, not that the other stuff isn't, but this one uh, could be very serious. And that's President Biden is in uh, in I think it's in the UK. Eventually, he's going to be meeting over NATO. I don't remember where he's going to be meeting with NATO, but it seems like we have a president in in Europe, and we have China in Cuba and Latin America. That seems to be where the world is at right now, Bill. China is everywhere. I mean, everywhere yes. you look in Latin America, there's China. And then you have the president in, in Europe. And I'm going to put a couple of things on the table, and then uh, we can talk about them. But it looks to me like NATO is not as united as we think it is. They're not in favor of these weapons that the president wants to send uh, to Ukraine. Uh, also, I saw a chart today that uh, the, many of the members of NATO are not really paying what they're supposed to supposed to be paying. So we got that problem once again hanging over over NATO. And I'm sure there must be a lot of American parents with sons uh, who could be fighting uh, some of these wars uh, asking themselves a bunch of questions, Bill. 
Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, we wonder, first of all, if we have a foreign policy and if it's consistent and if other people believe us. Uh, the president, as, as you pointed out, is overseas. He was in Britain. He met the, uh, the, the king, uh, whose who's, who's coronation he snubbed. So he finally went over to see the king. And I'm sure they had a very nice conversation. But I think there, that what we're facing right now is an era of doubt. Uh, you wonder if the foreign policy of the United States is really working for the people of the United States, or is it working for some other cause, like China? I think this is a big question. You, you just raised it. As you said, China is everywhere, but China is also heavily involved in American industry. Um, they are involved, in fact, I ran the story a few days ago, in buying up large tracts of American land, especially around military bases. Uh, they are the number one issue, but you would never know there was anything amiss in our relations with China by reading the, the mainstream press because they're all for they're all for Biden. We had uh, Janet Yellen over there a few weeks uh, a few days ago. She said the meetings went well, but there's been nothing we've seen to indicate the meetings went well. And I think that on the part of the American people, they they are seeing the same apprehension about our foreign policy that they have about institutions within the United States. I think what they are seeing is a general decline in the United States overall, and now we're getting to the foreign policy stage where nobody seems to be listening to us. Yeah. Well, Bill, one, I'm sure you remember uh, a, a lot better than me. Well, I remember the missile crisis, but you were a lot closer to it than I was. Um, that, the, you know, back then the, the position of the United States was, the Soviet Union is not going to have missiles in Cuba. The Soviet Union, basically, there was a message, get out of our neighborhood. That was kind of the message that uh, was delivered. Here, it seems like there is no message like that. I mean, it That's seems right. like, you know, you've got China everywhere. I mean, this is, you know, you've got China and Cuba talking about setting up a military outpost. Well, that, I think, is not just because I'm Cuban-American, but, I mean, as a U.S. citizen, I look at that and I feel pretty concerned because, you know, in the event that, that you had a conflict in Taiwan, you've got Chinese troops even closer to the United States for an attack over here. So, I mean, why, you know, why is it the president screaming and demanding China to get the heck out? Uh, that, well, that's the part that I don't get, you know. Well, when you link that up with the Hunter Biden stories and uh, his uh, operations in China, you wonder whether there are some influences there that shouldn't be there. You, well, the question you ask is absolutely correct. China is making progress all over the world. They have, uh, they have uh, uh, influence now in Africa. Uh, they never cease to expand their influence. We are not making friends all over the world. I think what we're creating all over the world is a lot of doubt. And doubt is a terrible thing in foreign policy. If people don't believe you, they're going to go elsewhere. And there are elsewhere to go. Well, you know, it's the old story from, I think it was uh, Osama bin Laden, who said that people are going to follow the, the strong horse. The strong and, horse. And, and, and right now, I mean, right now, if you're a small third world country, uh, the, the strong horse is not the United States. I mean, the United States is big, of course. But the strong horse is China because they're the ones who are calling you and trying to make deals with you. One of the biggest concerns that I have with China and Latin America is all of those natural resources in Brazil, for example, in the Amazon. 
that China seems interested in, and you have the same situation with mining interest in Peru, uh, where the Chinese are also interested. To me, that would have been unthinkable 10 years ago. And yet, I'm watching it on TV, I'm watching it, I'm reading about it, and I, I, I don't know where it's all going to go, but it cannot be a good place, Bill. No, no. Uh, you know, I, I try to monitor the, uh, the news reasonably well, and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm imagining something. But have you seen in the last couple of weeks a kind of vacuum in the news that, that there are no great there are, there are no big stories they 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 they're kind of trying to find things to talk about especially about the American election campaign they're trying to find things uh, with the exception of of Ukraine uh, they're trying to find stories that they consider worth telling what amazes me is the inaction of the United States as a nation there we 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 seem to have lost something the pandemic may have had a, a role to play but the dynamism that you expect in this country and the constant movement seems to be fading away. And I just wonder, I just hope it is not permanent. But uh, we mentioned yesterday at, uh, in a conversation I was having with a, an observer that the, there's an old cliche that democracies last for 250 years. We are in year 247. In, in three years, we will be 250 years old. And I'm just wondering if the energy is spent here. If, 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 we, if we, you know, when Jack Kennedy became president, he said, we've got to get this country moving again. And I mm -hmm. get the feeling that we're in another one of those, uh, of those phases where somebody is going to have to step forward and say, look, we're, we're, we're kind of falling apart. We're slowing down. The biggest issue in America seems to be how many crimes were committed last committed last night, and we got to get this country moving again. No, you, we we are, and it's it's very sad because the other side. I mean, the 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 people on the other side, the Chinese in this case, they're moving all over. Uh, I mean, every time I pick up a a Latin American news uh, newspaper or news section, everything I'm hearing about is China here, and China is here, and China is here. <laughs> And I look at the map, and I say, that's pretty close to us. Uh, I mean, you know, that's pretty close to the United States to have China that, uh, that, uh, that close. So that, that worries me a great deal. And you would, think, you would think the United States could talk to some of these countries. And, for example, in the case of Cuba, you would think the United States could talk to the Cuban government and say, you're not doing that. And if you do that, there's going to be a price to pay for, well, for letting the Chinese come in. There doesn't seem to be any price to pay, uh, no, and even in not. areas where even in areas where we're directly involved, uh, like the uh, Israeli uh, Arab situation, we seem to be coming down on Israel, <laughs> our ally. I mean, that seems to be the way they work in this administration. They punch our friends because the friends don't punch back. But uh, the president is going to have to deal with the situation in Ukraine. We have now made a decision to send over some very controversial weapons to help the Ukrainians. Um, but the, the reality is that this war in Ukraine, to make any progress internationally in Europe, has got to at some point come to an end. And, and it has to come to an end that is favorable to the Ukrainian people. I don't know how we do that. It does not seem to be any kind of a route or a map or a plan. And I think that is what is worrying people. It's certainly worrying Europe because they know they're going to be asked to do more, which is not a popular question in Europe. 
No, in fact, I mentioned uh, a minute ago that I just saw a graph that indicates all these NATO allies are not putting up the 2% That's that they're exactly supposed right. to be putting up. And uh, I, I don't know how in the world uh, you persuade American parents to send their sons to fight uh, for others who are not willing to even pay for their share of NATO. Uh, I mean, that is a a very difficult thing to do. But you mentioned Ukraine. You know, Donald Trump, a lot of people make fun of Donald Trump when he says that he would end the war in 24 hours. Uh, that's probably an exaggeration. But at least he's talking about ending the war. And at least he's talking about bringing Ukraine and Russia and trying to make a deal that would end the war. I don't see how this war can keep on going, Bill. I mean, it's costing us money as far as yes. uh, the ammunitions that we're sending. Uh, well, he this, said, this, go ahead. well, he said we're running out of ammunition, I yeah, think. Exactly. Also. I was going to say that. He's running out of howitzer ammunition, which is key to the Army. And he shouldn't have said that, but he's getting a big blowback for revealing that publicly. But, uh, uh, but yes, we're running out, and, and there's no end in sight. I mean, the Ukrainians are determined to defend their country. That is admirable. It's something we should be praising. Uh, but other countries should be doing more, and we should be putting real heat on Russia to end the war. We can do it. We, there are more things we can do. But, uh, but they, 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 I don't know what's wrong with our foreign policy. They seem paralyzed, and they seem at times even uninterested. Right. No, you're right. And something else, too, that is concerning people is introducing these weapons into the, the, you know, the, the Ukrainian war, these cluster weapons or whatever they're called. Some people are concerned that you could have more civilians killed, which is, not, which is bad for the civilians, but it's also bad for public opinion. Because that's how you get. That's how you turn off people when you start killing civilians, Bill. Now I don't mean Russia. I mean Russia doesn't care, but our public opinion does care, and European public opinion does care as well, Bill. Oh yes, absolutely. And you know we're going into an election year now. Uh, I think our campaign is much too early. You know, people forget the fact the election will not be held for another year and four months. Uh, we now have a campaign that begins. Uh, as soon as the, the, the last election is over. So it, it's still very early to tell. But the discussions so far in both parties have been quite lame. Uh, the point has been made that all Trump wants to talk about on the Republican side is how he was cheated. And on the Democratic side, they don't want to talk about anything. They're afra right. desperately afraid that Joe Biden is going to uh, fade away. And they're desperately afraid that Kamala Harris is going to be president or that she will be unremovable. Uh, we are in a bad situation. Uh, you know, we have been in bad situations before, and we have gotten out of them because of what might be called the American spirit or the, the can-do spirit. I don't see that kind of spirit in America, and I don't see the kind of leaders that generate that kind of spirit. Um, I, I, the last time we saw a... a a depression of feelings, a depression of attitude in the United States like this was the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president and we were still reeling from the problems of Vietnam. And we were lucky in those days to have a man named Ronald Reagan who stepped forward, ran for president, became president, and did such a remarkable job of turning the country down, <laughs> of turning the country rather back. Yeah. To what it should have been. 
and I don't see that today. What we need is what we need is a, a figure at the head of the United States who is respected, who people will follow, who people believe is honest, and who people believe is being covered accurately by the press. And we are nowhere there. Our institutions are failing us. Well, especially the media. The media, for yes. sure, mm-hmm. uh, yes. is failing us. I, I thought it was ridiculous. The last couple of interviews, one with MSNBC and the other one uh, with CNN, that President Biden goes on these networks for interviews, and you watch the interview, and you keep asking yourself, did I really watch this? Not a single question about anything that's complicated. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I think the interview with CNN, the fellow who was doing the interview, was was talking about his age, you know, and 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 saying, you know, what a, a lot of people think you're a great president. I mean, I mean, you want to be nice to the president, I understand, but I think he should have gotten some questions about our economy. I mean, when he says that, you know, I came in. I came in and we held all this unemployment and all of this, and I turned it around. Well, yeah, I mean, he actually inherited an economy that was booming because of yes. the economy was coming back. But he never, he, he's never challenged when he says these things. I mean, he says well, them, and it just goes right in one ear and out the other, Bill. Absolutely. Well, well, the, the the lack of questioning by the press is a national scandal. I mean, they they there were people who they literally don't question. And when they in the, on the rare occasions when they do, they ask powder puff questions. There are a few journalists left who are doing the job, but it's 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 very tough. What what and on the Republican side, what they should be doing right now is almost playing the role of the press and asking the classic Ronald Reagan question of the American people. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And the answer is no. No. And no, there's no objective way that anybody can look at or look at that question and answer that we're better off. I mean, any no. number you want to look at that. And, of course, there's always the intangible that you were talking about, you know, this feeling, that feeling of malaise that I remember from 1979. We seem to be having malaise 2023. That's, uh, you know, we yes. seem to be having that uh, that feeling. But, I mean, just an absolute mess. That's all I can say. And, and then you have a president over in, in, uh, in England, you know, walking around and looking like sometimes he doesn't know where he's at. And that cannot be very impressive either, Bill. Well, that's exactly right. Um, we look around. We look around for good news. And we look. I mean, we're the country that went to the moon, and I remember mm-hmm. those days and how the country was so involved in it. Uh, and I also remember, though, back in the early 1980s, when the movie The Right Stuff came out, which was about mm-hmm. the space program. Nobody went to see it. We had lost interest so quickly. And we had nothing to replace it with. And I, I recall the filmmakers were amazed that it, it was a wonderful movie, very well done. And yet the young generation wasn't interested at all. I think a lot of our problems today and a lot of the attitudes that you're describing and the conditions you're describing stem from a school system that is teaching American kids to dislike their country. Right. No, I, I think you're exactly right about that. And, and in fact, some polling data somebody was was doing a poll the other day saying that most americans don't even many young americans don't even know who dwight eisenhower is oh absolutely. and, and, and i'm sitting there saying you know 
I, I could understand if young Americans didn't know, let's say, who Franco is from Spain or de Gaulle from France. I could no, understand they have no that. Idea. Yeah. yeah, or Mussolini. I mean, I, I don't defend it, but I could understand that to some degree. But when you're asking a young person today, he doesn't know he doesn't know who Dwight Eisenhower is or what war he fought, and they're saying, "Oh, he was he's from the Civil War." Well, yes. that tells me that there's a problem, a very serious problem in our educational system, and and I agree with you, and and that that's making a lot of things uh, a lot worse. Our our educational system. Bill, let me take a little break. We got a lot more to get into with our friend Bill Katz right after this. <laughs> Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, I got to ask you uh, your reaction to this story uh, coming out of the Netherlands that uh, a man was actually selected as uh, the new representative of Netherlands to the Miss Universe contest. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. I don't know how else to put it, Bill. Well, it, it, it is a, a reflection, I think of what we talked about before, a breakdown of, the, of institutions, a breakdown of values. Uh, and uh, I, you, we've, had, we've had some things like that here, of course, also. But it, it is basically spitting in the face of thousands of years of tradition, of knowledge, of wisdom, and saying we're going to do things different just so we can do them different. Or differently, right. uh, and uh, you know, I remember when the, the, my university, the University of Chicago, had uh, elected uh, as its new president a Nobel laureate in medicine, and he introduced himself to the student body. He had the usual meeting, and one student asked, "Are we still going to be different?" And he said, "Well, <laughs> different in what way? I mean, we will be different if we can make things better, but we won't be different just for the sake of being different." And you get that the feeling today that some people want to be different just for the sake of being different. And in so doing, they don't care if they trample over the country's values to the extent that they know the country's values. As you said, a lot of the young people have never heard of, of genuinely famous names. I don't think there is much study of the Constitution. I don't think there is much study of all the things that this country has accomplished just the remarkable things that has accomplished, and we are beginning to pay the price. Well, and I would think, I mean, if, if you were some of the judges there in the Netherlands, uh, getting back to that crazy story for a second, uh, if you're one of those judges, you had to know that this was a man. I mean, because the comparison with the others was pretty obvious. That yes. these, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, she wasn't confusing. I mean, you could tell that she was not uh, girly like the others. So you have to believe if, if they aren't, maybe they're just trying to make a point. And they're saying, we're going to select a man because that's what you do in 20, 
23. Uh, I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to select a man to be Miss Universe because we want to be different, like you're saying, Bill. Well, that's right. I mean, and and you you look at the, you look at developments in American life. Just yesterday, uh, we learned. Well, maybe perhaps it was a few days ago that the new head of the American Library Association, the Organization of Librarians, is an out and out declared communist. Not not no no one is making the charge against her. She is an out and out declared Marxist. Now the late Nat Hentoff, who was one of the great reporters of the 20th century, warned about this years ago, that the American Library Association strange things seemed to be happening, and they ignored him. He was he was kind of laughed at, but now we see what that is. Now if Marxism is in control of the librarians, that means they're in control of the libraries. And that is not a good development, and yet you don't see it mentioned anywhere. I, you, I, I look in vain for any reaction. Uh, some, some people say, well, if, if that's who they want, well, okay, if that's who they want, that's who they can have. But many of the libraries that their members work in are school libraries. And is that influence going to be there? Are they going to be graded by the leadership as to how many Marxist books they can get into libraries? I just don't think that we have learned to take these things seriously. And one reason being that for about 50 or 60 years in this country, you could not discuss the issue of communism, of Marxism, mm-hmm. and, its, uh, and its infiltration into American life. You were called a McCarthyite if you did. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're seeing it very far along, and we're seeing the damage, and yet we're still not discussing it. And I think that these, these minuses, these lapses that we have gone through over a period of time take their toll. You know, it's the old idea of a a, a thousand slices, that one or two slices may not mean that much, but a thousand mean a great deal. It's one failure here, uh, another failure there, another school uh, out of business here, uh, another university with a scandal there. And one by one by one, they build up and they begin to affect uh, a nation's morale, and they take a toll. Right. Well, the one thing that I've never understood, Bill, is why is it that these Marxists, and that's what they are, why well, is yeah. it that they are never challenged? For example, I would love to ask one of these Marxists, you know, uh, you believe in Marxism and, and you want to transform the United States, but none of the countries that practice what you want to practice here have the freedoms that we have. I mean, you that's can't right. go to a library in Cuba, for example, and check out a book uh, have you know check out uh, any book you want i mean they limit the the books that you can read and in the schools and so on so it seems like these people are marxists and they come here and nobody challenges them on the fact that the the philosophy that they have is not just anti-american it's anti-democratic but nobody challenges them bill i mean it's like oh you don't want to ask them that question because you don't want to make them angry well I want to make him angry. I'm not. I don't want to make him angry. I just want. I just want to know why the double standard, Bill. Well, and that and that double standard that you mentioned goes through all of journalism in many areas. I'll give you just an example. There are terrible tragedies occurring in the African American community every night, every day. I have not seen on any of the news organizations' websites or on their air uh, or on publications. A single serious question asked of a black leader, 
a single challenging question. How can you allow this to go on? Do you have a program to end this horrible crime wave? Uh, do you, do, do you, what is your suggestion? Nothing. There's, there's just nothing. Uh, James Reston of the New York Times, who I knew, once said that the great characteristic of a good journalist is vitality, by which he meant curiosity. The journalist has to be everywhere. His eyes have to be everywhere. He has to be interested in everything. And when I turn on the news and expect to hear basically the state of the nation, I see a lot of people who don't seem interested in what they're doing. They don't seem interested in these things that are happening around the country, including good things, I might add. But the lack of curiosity, the lack of that vitality is draining us. It is, it, it, and, it, and, and it's keeping us from having an honest conversations about problems because we've had three mass shootings here recently, one in Philadelphia, one in Washington, D.C., and one right here in Fort Worth. And what do they have in common? It's basically black killing black. And in yes. many cases, it's young blacks who, aren't, you know, who are illegally owning guns. I don't know you know, who got them those guns. But when you have a 16- or 17-year-old kid bringing a gun to a party, well, that's not his gun. He's not old enough to have one. So I don't know that's if we're right. holding the parents liable for this. But we're not having that conversation. We're just talking about guns. And we're not well, having the conversation about the people who shoot guns. A wonderful point. Just last week, you know, there was this massacre in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And the local Soros finance district attorney only wanted to talk about guns he only wanted to to talk about availability of guns well for goodness sake we have 400 million guns in the united states it is highly unlikely that any gun control measure is going to make a dent in crime but he didn't want to talk as you said about the shooter about the penalties for for the shooter about making certain that people know that if they commit a crime using a gun they will go to jail for a long time uh, that, well, they don't even talk about that any, uh, anymore. The villain is the gun manufacturer. Uh, the villain right. is the ammunition manufacturer, but the villain is not the villain. The villain, the villain is not the person who, who pulled the trigger. They will say, well, we want to know why, what condition he was in. Uh, uh, the, the, the criminal is, is regarded in, as, as nothing more than a minor warning of, uh, uh, about what the condition of the society. What we should be doing is locking up for long periods of time people who commit violent crimes, and there has to be a certainty of punishment. Uh, when you, when, if you commit a violent crime, you will be, if you are caught and convicted, you will be sent to prison. Without that certainty of punishment, you can have no real society. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Let, let me also, there's another crazy story that happened uh, th- this last week over July 4th. You know, you have these two people up in Vermont, the ones who have the ice cream company or whatever. Oh, yes. And they, yeah, sorry, Ben and Jerry. I always keep saying Tom and Jerry, but that's the cartoons. But Ben and Jerry yeah. are the two men. And they have this, uh, you know, this company, so they decide that they're going to say for July 4th that Mount Rushmore is, you know, sits on occupied territory or stolen land. And we've heard these things before. I've heard them before. They're not new. But, I mean, what a time to say something like that on July the 4th. What a a bad day to pick that or make that point. But here's the funny part. There's a local tribe 
in Vermont who's now saying that Ben and Jerry are sitting on their land that they stole. Yes, exactly right. And that is hilarious, Bill. I, you know, you couldn't make that up. That is so funny. I wonder if they're going to give them back the land and pay reparations, Bill. They should give them back the land. I think they should give them a thousand quarts of Ben and Jerry's uh, the Cherry Garcia ice cream. Uh, I think they should get lifetime supplies of lifetime of ice cream in the form of reparations and let Ben and Jerry try to make a living. Well, reparations is what I think they should lead lead with because they've been using that land for a long time. And to the best of my knowledge, they were not paying any uh, rent fees to the Native Americans who had it before. But again, I'm being facetious when I say that. Of course, we, we to me, both this are, is yeah. such an this is such an idiotic debate. But yet it keeps going on and on and on. This debate about occupied land or stuff that happened 300 years ago. I'm not defending what happened 300 years ago, but we're living in today. And today, that's Mount Rushmore, a symbol of American greatness. And if you don't like it, don't go. But my goodness, to keep on bringing up these things, and it just makes you wonder about the people who keep bringing them up. And in the case of Ben and Jerry, you've got a couple of very rich people, I would assume, with their ice cream. And this country has been awfully nice to them. You would think that at some point they would say, you know, we're going to stop criticizing the country. It's been too nice to us, Bill. That's right. And also this business about occupied land. Look, obviously things happened in the past, not only in this country, but throughout the world that may not have been completely fair. But uh, the, the, the continent of the United States is huge. The actual uh, occupied uh, residency of, quote, Native Americans was relatively small. I mean, where is it written that nobody else can live here? You know, we, we, we pretend that because there was a an indigenous population that they had title to the entire continent. They didn't. They lived in certain areas. I think the actual uh, um, uh, Territory of the United States today is only about 20% occupied. There, are, there is room for other people. Uh, if they want to call it colonization, they can call it colonization. It really is immigration, uh, and immigration is a fact of life all over the world. I have no doubt that some injustices were done to Native Americans. I hope we have repaid that through programs uh, to help them, just as we have had any number of programs to help African Americans. We have not been completely indifferent. Uh, and I think as I, I'm tired of hearing about it, too. I want to see and ask these people who feel that they have been wronged. Well, OK, what do you do? What, what do you do every day? I mean, you do, do you do anything? Do you make any contribution? Uh, I don't think that what was done to them, especially in the 19th century, was necessarily right. But if we try to make it right by helping, what are you going to then do? Because you, you, after all, you receive every day the services of the United States of America. You receive its defense. You receive all of the communication systems that we have here. The country is not indifferent to you. You're not being kept out. And I think we could have a serious discussion, but I don't think people want a serious discussion. No, they don't. I, I think there's also another factor, too. I think a lot of these people hate the country. I really oh, yes. I, I think some of these people really hate the country. And it, it's it's kind of a weird thing, you know, that you would hate the country that's been so nice to you. But it sometimes, you know, you, you have that in families where you yes. have a uh, a son or daughter 
who hates the parents or something for some crazy reason because of this or this or that. And, and, and you just, you know, I, I think that's what we're seeing here, that there's a little hatred of the country and, and they're, and they express it in this fashion as if, as if they were going to fix all the problems of the world by, I guess, what, blowing up Mount Rushmore and giving it to whatever native group lives there, Bill? Well, uh, yes, and, and you could ask the question, why do they hate their country? You, you, made, you made a good point about these things happening within families. But also, I, I, I think they're taught to hate it. They're taught, if not to hate it, but to say, well, you know, it's not a, a really great country. We've had a lot of things that have gone wrong and that we've done wrong. And the teachers will say, we're simply teaching the history. That's all we're right. doing. No, they're, they're going way beyond that. Uh, because they very rarely then talk about all the wonderful things the country has done. Anything that has been done wrong can be fixed, but uh, not under the irrational circumstances that we're operating under now and crazy and irrational discussions like giving every African-American $2 million or whatever the, the figure is to make up for the past. Well, my ancestors were enslaved in Europe. I'm, I'm sorry, in uh, Egypt. Now, am I going to go over to Egypt tomorrow and ask for a check? Because they were right. enslaved once in Egypt. How far back does this go? Where does it go? Uh, I think if, if we want to discuss how we can make it up to people, we, we make it up to people in ways that make them stronger, like a good educational system, which is provided free of charge, uh, like very good health facilities, which have extended their life. That's the way you make it up to people. You, you don't make it up to people by teaching ch their children to hate the United States. And that's the situation we're in today. Somebody was joking the other day, well, not joking, but saying that, why is it that they only pick on the United States? Uh, for yeah. example, why, why don't they say that Italy should have reparations for everybody really in Europe and I guess the Middle East because of the Roman Empire occupying all these uh, territories? And having you know a lasting influence on on lots and lots of different places. Uh, for example, the Moors invaded Spain and lived in Spain for a long time. So should yeah. people in Spain ask for reparations? Uh, I mean, th this is a, it's a crazy thing. It doesn't end, and it just makes a lot of people angry for good reason. And as I think you mentioned one time in one of our podcasts, it doesn't do anything for a young black person stuck in a lousy city school, Bill. Absolutely. It, it, it does nothing. You know, you, you have this movement called Black Lives Matter. I would like to know how that movement has affected the life of a single black child. And you know what's also interesting, Silvio? Nobody ever asks their mothers. Have you ever noticed that the news organizations have no interest? And uh, talking, for example, to an African-American mother, to a Hispanic mother, and saying, what do you want for your children? It's always the so-called leaders that they interview. Well, the leaders, if we know anything about leadership, aren't that interested in their followers making too much progress. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, keep, keep things the way they are so we can be leaders. But uh, that, that, is, that is the point. We, we have a, a left-wing uh, press today. We have a left-wing educational establishment. We have a, 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 the left-wing seems to be everywhere, including sports, of all things. What good have they ever done for the individual citizen of the United States? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an answer. Well, I don't find too many answers, uh, but I do have one question, Bill, that maybe you can help me answer uh, to wrap things up today, and that is, 
How does cocaine get in the White House? Uh, apparently very easily. Very easily. I was listening <laughs> to uh, – I don't normally listen to Dan Bongino, but I was listening to him today uh, by chance. I, I happened to, to find him on the radio, and he was talking. And, you know, he was a Secret Service agent. Yeah. Uh, he actually uh, protected uh, – I think President Obama was the one he worked for. And he says it's impossible for cocaine to enter the White House. He yeah. says that there are so many checks. Uh, first of all, you, not only you have machines, you have Secret Service people, but you've got maybe the most efficient uh, of all, and that is these huge dogs that will smell anything. Yes, that's and right. So uh, he, he, he doesn't believe that, it, that someone can just walk in with this. He thinks that there's more to it. Now, I don't know the answer, but as a citizen, uh, I do, I mean, I do feel very concerned that somebody, something like this could happen. It makes the country look bad. And, you know, this is supposed to be the most protected house in the world. Well, I guess it wasn't uh, for one second, Bill. No, well, I I guess the thing is that it was brought in by somebody who wasn't checked. And that's a very small circle of people because they found the cocaine in the area near the situation room, which is highly secret. That's a place that very few people are allowed to go. But obviously somebody was allowed to go there. Somebody stupid who was stupid enough to leave the cocaine behind in a cubby. Now, if you look at people who have access to that area and are stupid, well, I could name some names. <laughs> I prefer not to. I, I prefer not to, but didn't somebody leave a laptop somewhere one time? Somebody uh, left a laptop, yes. And then I think if they look carefully under the keys of the laptop, they might find cocaine. And then there well, was a vice president. I, I hate to accuse him. I hate to accuse the man who left the laptop, but it, uh, if, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, you're absent-minded enough to leave a laptop somewhere, maybe – you're absent-minded enough to, uh, but I mean, in all seriousness, I, I don't want to pick on that one person, but in all seriousness, it does not make the country look good when no. cocaine can enter. And to me, that's what I'm worried about. If this is a security breach, uh, something went wrong very badly. But if it's like you say, somebody who didn't have to go through security, well, there aren't that many people who have that privilege. I mean, this is like the the draft, the Supreme Court draft, you know, it's not like they put it in Facebook so that everybody can look at the draft. I mean, there's maybe like 20 people who saw that draft. Wouldn't be that difficult to find who did it, Bill. No, it wouldn't. Look, they're not looking very hard. They said they will wrap up their investigation today, apparently without finding anything. I mean, we look, we all know what this is about. It's embarrassing they don't want to embarrass somebody. It's obvious that anybody that would be embarrassed by this who could get that close to the situation room would be somebody well-known. And there's just no, it's very much like the Hunter Biden investigations. It's pretty obvious that they were stalled in a number of places. Uh, people just didn't want to go forward. And that is what the Republicans claim is the two-tiered uh, system of justice, one uh, tier for Republicans and another tier for Democrats. And I think it exists. Well, if, if if they come out and they say that, uh, yeah, there was a, a little bag of cocaine, but we don't know who did it, I don't think that's going to fly. No. Uh, I mean, I don't think that answer is going to fly. I think people are going to say, wait a minute, 
because again, going back to my point about being a citizen, uh, just looking at this from the, not so much politically, but from the standpoint of a citizen, if cocaine can enter the White House that easily, there's a lot of other things that can enter the White House that easily too. That could be well, dangerous yes. to the people there. <laughs> and there are some people who entered the White House who are dangerous to the people there. I mean, uh, we 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 have really fallen down in our understanding of national security and how difficult it is to maintain that security. We have right now, as we speak, the chief of our Iran negotiating team suspended for violating security. Now, when you suspend somebody and strip him of his security clearance, that is worse than being fired. If a guy is fired, you say, all right, it didn't work out. They didn't like each other or something. But being stripped of your security clearance is a charge a formal charge made by the United States against this employee saying we don't trust you anymore. That is a horrible humiliation. And yet, does the press have the slightest interest in it? I, I, I haven't seen outside the, the, you know, the specialized press much interest at all. His name is Robert Malley. He was yes. also the head of, uh, the head of, um, of Obama's uh, negotiating team with Iran. And he has been stripped of his clearance, you know, uh, suspended. Uh, he has been suspended without pay. That's a pretty serious situation. I want to know, as a citizen of the United States, what did he do and how much right. damage was done? I don't think we'll and, ever know. No, but it, but that's the point. I think everybody wants to politicize things, and I don't want to politicize that or the cocaine story. I just want to know, as a citizen, how does that happen? And and yes. I think that we're entitled as, as citizens to know how cocaine gets in the White House, and then if we discover who did it, well, fine, prosecute the person. They, it, it doesn't help, like the point you were making before about these two tiers of justice, it doesn't help uh, the, the country when it does look like they're protecting somebody. Maybe they're not, but it looks that way, Bill. Well, I, 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 I think, think the worst in a situation like this. I think there are people working in the White House, working in this administration, who represent the fringe left, and I think they have the president's ear, and that's what worries me. Well, you're exactly right. Well, Bill, have a great week, and uh, we will chat again uh, next Monday. Uh, I will look forward to it, and maybe there will be some real news. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, the Home Run Derby is tonight, and the All-Star Game is tomorrow, so... Uh, that's uh, you know a bit of a distraction, I guess, from from the from the, all these other stories we're talking about, Bill. So you can watch yeah, uh, the All Star Game tomorrow night. And there, I don't know who comes up with these things. You remember the All Star Game, I'm sure, when the Brooklyn oh, sure. Dodgers were in it. Uh, and back then, and for a very long time, uh, the teams wore their own uniforms. If if uh, yes. If you were the home team or the away team, I mean, but you wore your own uniforms, the gray or the white. Now they have to change everything. And now they've got these crazy-looking uniforms. The American League is going to look one way and the National League. And I'm saying to myself, why kill it? Why destroy one of the greatest That's traditions? Right. It was one of the show, greatest traditions. To show the Dodgers in their nice blue outfit or gray outfit, whatever, That's or right. the Giants or whatever, or the Yankees. I mean, why why would anybody playing for the Yankees or representing the Yankees want to wear anything but the pinstripes? But now, no, Major League Baseball has decided that, 
I guess that uh, the young people want to see crazy-looking uniforms, Bill. Well, Major League Baseball is going the way of Major League Football. It's being run by inadequate businessmen. Whoever's running it uh, is not making me happy because I thought one of the great traditions was uh, the the teams wearing their own uniforms. Uh, I thought that was uh, one of the best parts of the game, but I guess uh, they didn't call me for my opinion, Bill. Well, no, they don't call any of us for our opinions, but you're absolutely right. And the cost of going to a baseball game for a, a family of four is so far beyond what, it, what people can afford that we cannot call this the national pastime anymore. No, no, you need to make a lot of money. I mean, you, you have to put it on the credit card, it seems like. Uh, oh, whenever yes. you go to a ball game, you can't just go into your pocket and and buy the and buy the ticket. At least most people uh, cannot do that. Have a great week, Bill, and I hope the American League wins. Okay. Okay. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll talk to you later. Our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda, and I said the American League wins, of course, because the Brooklyn Dodgers were, were in the National League. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.